you know, probably something's up deep down. You have a gut feeling that something's maybe not right, but staring down the barrel of all of these things and the idea that your precious baby is not neurotypical, is not normal, not going to live the normal life is brutal. I mean, it's brutal as a parent to have to, you know, accept that. You're listening to Mom After Hours, a podcast where we talk about the wins and challenges of being a modern mom. For real, we don't sugarcoat and we cover everything that is taboo. And don't you worry, mama, we'll save a seat for you. Welcome to Mom After Hours. This is your host, Brandy Wychak. Thank you so much for joining me today. As we close on Autism Awareness Month, a time dedicated to increasing understanding and acceptance of people with autism, I spoke with Haley Augusta, a mother of a son with autism and hyperlexia. In 2020, the CDC reported that approximately 1 in 54 children in the U.S. is diagnosed with an autism spectrum disorder, and these rates are rising higher each year. Autism spectrum disorder impacts not just the life of the child, but their family too. And children on the autism spectrum typically require a level of special services or modifications of educational programs. And it's often left to us, the moms, to direct these services, pursue a diagnosis, and essentially establish a plan for our child who may be developmentally delayed. And this is not an easy road to walk by any means. In this episode, Haley talks about leaving her dream career in global media and her luxe lifestyle in Dubai. She has quite an interesting start to her motherhood journey. She had to leave that behind to care for her son on the autism spectrum. And she opens up about the challenges of navigating the diagnosis process and what are the best tools, services, and resources for moms with children on the autism spectrum to consider. If you're a mama who thinks that your child may need to speak to a specialist or may have some type of developmental delay, or it could be that you have a friend who is going through this and you'd like to better understand it and how to best support her. I feel like this is a topic that is beneficial to learn about for all mamas out there, whether you're in these shoes or not. So let's dig in, mamas. Haley, what did pre-mom life look like for you? That's a good question. We were living in Dubai and my husband, we moved out there after we got married. My husband uh, opened a branch office there and I was working as a regional digital media director and life was good. I mean, dual income, no kids. I feel like I should probably just start with like my career in general. So I started out in media sales. Um, I worked for a rep firm back in the day when, you know, they had like the mid tail, long tail before it got automated. And then I went to the LA times and kind of revamped their digital media offering. And at that time I had just gotten married and, you know, it was, wasn't a matter of if we're going to Dubai, it was when we were going to Dubai. And then once, once I got to Dubai, I kind of pivoted in my career And rather than being on the sales side, I moved on to the agency side. And like my ambitions as a young woman 
because uh, I'm old now. <laughs> it wasn't like I'm going to be this ball buster career woman. It was, I just want to be having fun. And, you know, eventually maybe I'll have kids and I'll opt out of working. Right. But then as I got into my career, I got good at it and I started making real money, you know, like the kind of money that like, you know, I rivaled my husband. And when we were in Dubai, we could just live off my salary, you know? Um, so it wasn't like the kind of money that like, yeah, it was, it was nice. I mean, Dubai is expensive. So damn girl, you must've been doing pretty good. I'm like, Dubai. I heard that you have to pay your rent a, all up front, like for a year. Is that true? Yes. That I'm not sure crazy. if it's still true, but usually what happens in Dubai is that you go there on an expat package with like a big global multinational company. And because of that, the companies were just used to writing one check for the year. And I do have to caveat actually that my husband did pay for the rent for the year with his salary, but everything else. So like, you know, bills, utilities, going out to eat, everything else, like, cause I was getting paid in a Dubai bank account. So, and he was getting paid in an American. So rather than dealing with transferring all the time, we just used our Dubai account, which was funded by me. Wow. That's cool. What an interesting life. So, oh, you can have a nanny full time, um, for like 800 bucks a month. You can have, yeah. Like when I was there, like I didn't do any laundry, like you don't have to do any domestic anything because you can hire people to do that for you. And it's not that much money. Wow. So you were living the high life over there. So do, were your children born there or? No. So actually I had a bunch of friends. They all had their kids there, but my husband was really adamant about us having our kids in America. So I flew back to California where I'm from to have both of the kids. Wow. You were in California on your own having the kids and then your husband had to stay in Dubai to. No, no, no. He came. Oh, okay. He came. Um. So, so yeah. So, but I mean, I worked up until 40. So it's the 40 weeks, I guess is full term. So 30 weeks is the last or 35 weeks is the last day that you can fly. It's 17 hours. And I literally had my boss, like, give me blood thinners, <laughs> like shoot me in the arm with blood thinners. And I like got on, got in the car to like come home. And then I worked from home until the baby was due. Once your children were born, you remained in California or did at one point you go back to Dubai or once you guys are back in the States, you were back in the States. So what happened was, um, I had the first kid in Dubai and I went back and I went back to work and I got a job as a global digital media director, um, for an agency that represented Emirates airlines. And I loved that job. So we had the nanny, we had the one kid I was working, um, I loved the global aspect of it because we were running media in like 86 countries or something around the world. And that was cool and made me feel cool about myself. Um, My ego was big, blah, blah. And then um, I got pregnant with the second. And then that was the time, you know, I worked up until the very end, like the last day that I could fly because they don't let you fly, you know, when you're about to go into labor. And I took the blood thinners (laughs) and I went home and all that. And then what happened was my at the time I was, you know, hugely pregnant. My first kid was not speaking like zero words. And I noticed, you know, I noticed early on, 
you know, and my boss and my boss's boss both had kids and they, their kids were talking and they were all kind of the same age. And I was like, uh, what do you guys think? You know, they're like, no, no, no. You know, I'm sure he's normal. I'm sure he's fine. Whatever. I had a nanny. I was like, Hey nanny, what do you think? She had a kid. You know, I think he's great. I think he's really smart. You know, he's just, you know, delayed in speaking or it'll come, whatever. I remember talking to my doctor in Dubai. And at the time I was pregnant. And so him and my husband had a good laugh about like the crazy hormonal lady that was like worried about her son. And, you know, it's very trendy to have a speech delay, blah, blah, blah. And so that was all between, you know, one and once it got past 18 months, you know, 20 months, it was like, okay, you know, so when we got back to America, I'm, you know, 35 plus weeks pregnant at this point, um, I go to take him to a speech therapist. And the speech therapist looks at me and says, he's probably autistic and mentally retarded. Oh, what? <laughs> yeah. So I... Wait, and um, so this was at, at, a, at a doctor in... No, 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 no. A speech language pathologist, oh, speech. which means they have a master's in speech. This person was entirely not, not qualified. Qualif- yeah. Absolutely not. And a lot of SLPs and like um, OTs and stuff will like drop that on people. And I think it's really wrong. And yeah. insensitive. she has no fucking credentials to say something like that, let alone to just blurt that out and say it. I mean, that would take a lot. Of, I'm a nice person, but that would take a lot of power. I mean, just not like go off on her. That's yeah. what. It, how did you feel like when when she just kind of just blurted that out? Was it something that you had? Heard? It was awful. I mean, it was totally like I held it together. I think I held it together until we got in the car and my son was behind me, you know, but I mean, I'm like due in like any day now, you know, like hugely pregnant, like you don't. And I went into like, a, first of all, I mean, it was just completely wrong of her to say that. And later she ended up like recanting. And I actually think she was a horrible speech therapist and like kind of borderline abusive. And um, yeah, so that was a, our first experience in that. So um, yeah, I totally like, you know, held it together until my son couldn't see my face and then lost it and went into like a really dark place of like, I don't want this baby because I need to just throw everything into this. Like what the fuck? Like it wasn't even on my radar. Like I knew he was behind and speaking, but I didn't, but also he could point at everything. Like I knew he like basically knew his like letters and numbers, which is another autism thing that I didn't know. But like, you know, I'd be like, Oh, you know, jump to the star. And he'd like jump to the star. Like, you know, we had like a foam mat with like different shapes, you know, jump to the triangle, you know, like I knew that he could understand stuff, but he just wasn't talking. And anyway, so at, at this point I'm like, Oh my God, Oh my God. Um, I'm not going back to Dubai. <laughs> like I'm just yeah. not going back to Dubai. And I, and then I have a newborn, right? So like I have this newborn, I'm on maternity leave and I call my boss in Dubai and I'm like, look, like there's a possibility that my kid is autistic. Like, you know, and he's like, you're not coming back. Are you, you know, like, I mean, they, the last thing they said to me was like, you're coming back. Right. And I was like, yeah. You know? And then I was like, no. Um, yeah. So, but then, (laughs) then there's like a curve to the story. So I get out of like the newborn phase and I take my son to a neurologist here in America, but we've pulled the, so my husband still has his job in Dubai, like to this day. Um, but I, like we, you know, our lease was up on our apartment, like in March, whatever. I didn't go, I didn't go back again 
that's the thing about the expat life. Like every year you're like, am I coming? Am I, am I going to go? Am I going to stay? Am I going to, you know, anyway. So, so your I was husband like, is, is he working from the States for a Dubai company or is he back in Dubai? So he works for an American company, but the Dubai, uh, the Middle Eastern office. And he is going back and forth. Like this Holy was, so I'm like, shit. yeah cruising with a newborn by myself and my two-year-old who's not speaking and I don't know what's going on. But then fast forward a few months and we take him to a neurologist and the neurologist says, well, he's not autistic. He just has a speech delay and he's extremely smart and maybe he's got ADD. Like that was his diagnosis with ADHD. And I was like, great. Well, if that's all it is, then like, I'm going back to work. Like, I don't know. I had a boyfriend in high school who had ADD, ADHD, and he was great and everything was great. And, you know, he turned out like as an upstanding citizen and he's got a couple of kids now, all that. And I was, so that was my frame of reference. So I was like, okay, super. I'm going back to work. And then, um, I got a job at an agency representing Facebook and I was going up to their headquarters their, uh, in Menlo Park, Silicon Valley once a week. And my office was technically in LA. So I was driving, I was doing everything. And I was, you know, and my husband was still doing his job. So we were like dueling banjos. Like I would would work from home when he would fly to the Middle East. Like when I accepted the job, that was my deal. Um, And the kids are in daycare and, you know, we're just kind of, it was a hard year, but like, you know, I was happy to be back at work. And then the head of the, (laughs) sorry, I'm just still like, holy fuck. I mean, to have an infant, and then be dealing with, you know, trying to figure out what is going on with your toddler, your child, and then your husband's not there. And he was coming and going, right? So he'd be home for two weeks and then gone for two weeks and home for two weeks and gone. And like the jet lag was pretty brutal. It was a really hard time. And then also my son was doing speech therapy at this time. Like, so also like between me, my husband and my mom, we like coordinated that he would get to speech. So that all, we like limp along in that situation for like a year. So my son goes to a mainstream preschool and the head of the preschool called me and said, you know, he's just not developing typically. Like he's just not. And I think you need to have him evaluated by the school district. So I said, okay, even though he's in my mind, like we're clear of autism, like he's the, the head, the neurologist is like the head of the food chain. Right. Anyway. So, um, we, do the school district thing and the school district when they die or it's not a diagnosis, it's an evaluation. It's really thorough. So like you have to fill out a ton of paperwork. They observe your kid in like their classrooms because he was in preschool or they would come to your house if they, if he wasn't in preschool. And then they also like test them, you know, so they test everything, gross motor, fine motor language, problem solving, cognitive abilities, blah, blah, blah. And they, they break for the summer because like school districts have the summer off. So we started this process kind of in May, but then like, so I knew that it was coming and I was like, dude, like, I don't know if they're going to say he has to go to special ed like all day, every day, or if he's going to get like a couple services or like, I don't know, but like, you know, my husband at this point, my husband and I are like, how are we going to make this work? You know, I'm calling my friend that hasn't, a kid with autism, like the only person that I know that has a kid with autism. I'm like, do any of these moms work? She's like, I know one mom that's a dentist and she is going to blow her brains out like every day. Oh my gosh. It's hard. I mean, it's a, being a mom is already a full-time job, but to 
take care of a child that has special needs or that needs even more attention or assistance, like that's, oh, it's, that's difficult. That's hard. Yes. Uh-huh. And, and, you know, I'm not saying that like you can't work, you can work, yeah. but you can't have a job where at the minimum you're flying once a week. Like, I mean, there was a time like supposed to be in like Mexico city, Thailand and Atlanta in like a two week span. You know what I mean? Like, and then my I mean, husband you definitely with his couldn't job. have, you definitely, I mean, the amount of traveling that you guys were doing back and forth and the job that you had before, definitely, it was like your dream job pretty much. But to me, it, it would definitely be pretty demanding to do while trying to take care of, of two kids. But then how did you feel about that? Like, I would feel so torn. Like, obviously you care about your children and you're like, fuck, I've got to do everything that I can to help my son, but to like be pulled away from what you described as like, you know, the perfect career for you and, you know, where it was the salary and the things that you were doing, the things you're accomplishing, you know, it made you feel great. How, how did you feel about that transition from working woman to basically looking at having to stay at home? (laughs) That was hard. I went to a therapist actually about it. And because ultimately, like you have kids, like you bring children into the world, like the responsibility is on you. Right. And I knew that I was in a position financially that we weren't going to starve if I stopped working. You know, I mean, like we would feel the sting, of course, you know, obviously there wouldn't be as much money to go around as before. But at the end of the day, my responsibility is to my children before me and working is great because, you know, you're good at it. You earn a paycheck. It's good. It's good for your ego. It's good to feel like an adult. It's good to use your brain, like all of those things. But I think the therapist said to me, you're just going to keep going up and up and up the the chain and getting more and more and more stressed out. And like, what's that going to do for you? You know, you read that book, like lean in. Yeah, totally true. Like you bail out for a couple of years when your kids are little, but then like what opportunity have you lost? You know, and, and once they're in school full time, like this is think about it's not just you're, you're losing money for like the year or two years. It's like you're earning potential over, you know, 10, 15 years, 20 years, whatever, how much longer you're working. That is a tough thing to, you know, grapple with and accept. And then also like, you know, I'm not the stay at home mom that is coordinated enough to like buy a green outfit ahead of time for St. Patrick's Day. You know, like St. Patrick's Day for me is like, oh shit, it's the 17th. Oh, okay, great. Like somebody gave me like a ski puffy outfit, even though it's like 75 degrees out, like that's great. Like you're going to wear that, you know, like the morning of. Um, like here, I got some green lipstick somewhere. I'm going to draw, I got to draw a little shamrock on your cheek. Okay. You're dressed up. Good to go. Go out the door. Let's go to school. Yeah, <laughs> basically. Yeah. So, you know, I'm just, I'm not the like scrapbooking, like Play-Doh, like, oh my God, that's like rock bottom for me. <laughs> <laughs> it's like torture. We don't have to like, enjoy every part of motherhood. Like I completely get you on that. I freaking yeah. hate painting and doing all that stuff, but I'm like, yeah, like, crafting yeah. oh my god the worst and it's so funny because my younger kid like he will play play-doh for hours and i'm like oh the smell everything about it is wrong <laughs> so anyway yeah so what, what at what point did you finally reach that top person that expert and like when were they able to truly break it down for you and explain like this is 
exactly what your son has. This is what it means for him. This is what it means for your family. So I would like to point out that like, nobody's actually ever said that to me, which is pretty tight. Like, I don't know if I just got lost in the process of autism diagnosis or if everyone is just like this. You know, I feel like if you have, I don't want to compare autism to like cancer because it's not, it's not a disease. It's a disorder. But like, if you have some big medical thing, like they usually like sit you down and they're like, this is what it is. And these are your options. And this is like our, like, you know, plan, (laughs) right? Like nobody ever did that for me. Um, So we got evaluated by the school district and it was in September, October that we had his IEP meeting. And that was when they were like, look, we are going to give him services under the diagnosis of autism. And, um, and at that point I had taken him to a different neurologist and he tested, he's like very on the cusp. He tested off, like not autistic on one test, but yes, autistic on the other. And so then once I had like the the information from the school district, I took that back to the neurologist. And it was basically like tying a bow on the diagnosis. Um, but like, no, nobody says like, okay, your kid's autistic. And so that means that like X, Y, and Z is going to happen to you, blah, blah, blah. They say like, okay, you know, your kid's behind in speech. You need to do speech. Your kid needs OT, which stands for occupational therapy because, uh, you know, gross motor, fine motor delays. Your kid maybe has sensory issues, you know, do X, Y, and Z to try to make that better or whatever. Yeah. So once I got the diagnosis or once I got the school district kind of evaluation and they were like, look, we're going to give him speech classes twice a week. And we're going to give him social classes twice a week. And these are classes that are like an hour and 30 minutes twice a week or an hour and 15 minutes and can't be late. And at that point it was like, there's no chance that I'm going to be able to continue doing a halfway decent job at my job and like make it to these like, you know, Tuesday and Thursday from like 12, 15, you know, like, no. Yeah. And then on top of that, we're also doing, you know, private OT and private speech. And then um, now we're doing ABA therapy, which I'm like on the fence about ABA in general. Um, however, now that and what's ABA? ABA stands for applied behavioral analysis. And the reason why I'm against it is because very early on, I did research and there's a lot of autistic adults who had it as kids and say, you know, it's unethical. It's kind of torturous. Um, it teaches you, it basically tries to mask all of your autistic behaviors. So you act more quote unquote normal. So like quiet hands, don't flap your hands. Um, you know, look someone in the eye, even though that's like painful for an autistic person. Um, you know, basically it's like forcing them to conform. Yeah. In fact, the guy who started ABA actually started gay convert gay conversion therapy, which is so brutal. Yeah. yeah. Um, and like back in the day, I think they used like cattle prods. I mean, like it was, it oh was my bad. gosh. Mm-hmm. It, it, there's a book, it's called Neuro, Neurotribes, I think. And it is the history of autism. And it's very sad um, what happened. I mean, back in the day, these kids were just like institutionalized. That's just what oh happened. My gosh. Um, yeah. But anyway, so with my son, we started doing ABA recently because like, in the beginning, well, first of all, 
I don't control stims. Like you're not supposed to control stims. You're just supposed to like make the world understand that some people run around and flap their hands and go, ah, you know, it's just yeah. like get over it um, because they're doing it. It's like a self-regulatory, like everybody stims, right? So like if you get tired and you like play with your eyelashes or you tap your foot or you play with your nails, like that's a stim, mm-hmm. right? But those stims are like more accepted in society. You don't really... Nobody really thinks because you're not attracting as much attention, but they don't want you to be, they don't want you to attract attention. They want, yeah. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. So like that's the ABA basically is to teach you how to fit in. And I was like, no, (laughs) you know, like my kid doesn't have bad behavior. He's not the kind of kid that's going to like chuck scissors at another kid. If he's extremely obedient, et cetera. But now that he's, you know, five, I want him to be able to say like, someone says, how are you? Like, I'm fine. How are you? You know, like basic, you know, social graces and like, Hey guys, what's up? Can I put like initiating play? What I do like about ABA is they break down social things that like normal neurotypical people learn just by osmosis. Like you don't have to break them down. It's like autistic people. It's like almost like there's a blind spot there. It doesn't mean that they can't learn. It just means initially they just don't see it. So your son also is unique in that he has hyperlexia. What is what is that exactly? Yeah. So hyperlexia um, is an ability to read way beyond your age level. So um, I remember, you know, when he was two, before he was even diagnosed, like my friend's kid was like four or five and, you know, she didn't know like what the number eight was like on the cell phone or something. And by this time, trying to like undo my password, that's hypernumeracy or something. So it just, it means that like he can read anything, like anything. (laughs) And his comprehension is pretty good. Usually with hyperlexia, the comprehension isn't that good. Um, But he was able to read like at a young, very young age and be able to understand concepts well beyond his years um concepts like literal concepts right not like subjective and like not like oh how is this character feeling you know necessarily um like what is the meaning of like the symbolism of like the rain outside like you know no not that kind of thing but like literally yes he can read and understand things and so there's something called twice exceptional kids which means they're exceptional because they're autistic and they're exceptional because they're gifted and that's not like an official diagnosis that they can test for, but like the neurologist tells me that he is that, um, hopefully soon we'll have his IQ tested to see like how gifted we're talking about. <laughs> you know what I mean? Wow. Like maybe, but yeah. Could have so, a prodigy. Like, I mean, like it's, it could be, you know, in the beginning where you guys were nervous about, you know, the impact of his delay in speech and et cetera. And it, this could have actually, even though, you know, you're spending a lot of time and a lot of effort and getting him to where he needs to be, he could be like a little prodigy and, you know, yeah. he's just, he's blooming on his own timeline. Well, that's like best case scenario, right? Like that is what you hope for is that like, well, they're not speaking because their mind is working out, you know, X, Y, Z that you're, isn't like not even on your page, right? Like things that you're not even thinking about. Um, I think autistic kids have really good memories, you know, so they're mm-hmm. maybe thinking about stuff and just, it's just like a different operating system. So like I say like, oh, we're all like, you know, PCs and like they're Macs, <laughs> you know what <laughs> yeah. I mean? It's just like, it's and if true. you try to like press the same buttons, um, yeah. So, but you know, there are the social, um, cognitive deficits. So 
I realized like he doesn't have any friends really. And there's never been a play date that was not initiated, like just from the parents being the friends. Whereas my neurotypical son, who's three, he's like the cool kid. And all the parents call me and are like, Hey, you know, does AJ want to play today? Um, and when I realized that I was like, Oh, that's really sad, Aww. you know, but that's, and that's for those life. Who, who aren't familiar, can you explain what neurotypical is? Yeah. Neurotypical is just basically the opposite of neurodivergent. It's basically like an proper way to say like a normal kid you okay. know, developing okay. on a nor- on a normal train, you know? So for example, my son is three and counting to 20, like, you know, he might miss a couple or get a couple backwards or whatever. Whereas my first son, my older son, when he was, you know, 18 months, like easily count to 20, probably a hundred, you know, knew all his oh, letters. Molly. Like, uh, so yeah. So sorry to go back to hyperlexia. It's, it means like you're very, very good at decoding. So I'm on hyperlexia Facebook groups. Like a lot of these kids are like teaching themselves Russian. And um, shit, that is amazing. It is. It's amazing, but also like nobody cares. Like in the schools, nobody cares. I'm like, uh, my kid can read. And they're like, that's nice. We're still going to like make him try to match the uppercase letter to the lowercase letter. And I'm like, um, it's a, they don't have the time to focus on the tools that he truly needs. I think that's amazing. I mean, it's kind of a, it's double-edged sword because you're dealing with a lot right now and, you know, navigating just, you know, how his life, how it looks now and how it's going to be. And just, um, you know, and having to work with these different providers, it's, I can imagine how difficult it is, but to me, to see I don't know, to see, to be able to see what your son is accomplishing in that regard, like to me, that would just, I don't know, that would blow me out of the water and impress me like, yeah, okay, my son might not be as social as his brother or other kids, but you know what? Here you want to be able to recite this word for word or whatever it is, you know, that he excels at. And I feel like, you know, society, we always say that we've got to do things a certain way by this timeline and this and that. And it's like, you know what? All kids, we're all so different. And some kids, you know, some of them grow out of it. Some you know, just life experience. They just, I don't know. It, it, it just changes. And as they get older and then, I don't know, I don't know. Yeah. I just, I mean, you're totally right. And, um, we do have to support, like the way to think about it is that he's not even on the charts in a lot of like social and self-help skills. Um, you know, like brushing your teeth. I'm like, come on. <laughs> First you start at the back and the bottom, come on, you know, um, uh, showering by himself. Um, he can't swim yet. Like, and he's five. Like, are you kidding? Like when I was five, I was like on the swim team and like, you know, winning (laughs) blue ribbons or whatever, you know? Um, but for him putting his face in the water was like a sensory thing for a long time. And he's afraid of, I don't know, he's afraid of drowning, but now he's so tall he can stand. But like, you know, so there's those areas that he's like not even on the charts, you know, and I see neurotypical kids in little league, you know, on swim team, riding bikes and all that stuff and you know, break my heart. Um, but on, on the other hand, he's off the charts. Like he knows what proteins bind together to make um, like DNA double, he- like he draws DNA double helixes. He so could play cool. twinkle, twinkle, a little star on the piano before he could talk. Like his just, he, he's just on a whole different, it's super cool. Just hypersensitive to things. He just can pick up. I think that's just amazing. I just think that's so amazing. 
Um, yeah, I mean, I think autistic people have a lot of amazing traits, but it requires a bit of a shift in society to accept them. Um, and that's part of, you know, what I hope to do with like my podcast and my platform, you know, it's a neurotypical podcast. It's about mom identity issues, but I do hope to spread awareness and acceptance about autism in the autistic community. And I do have to say that there, I would say the majority of the kids who are autistic are not also, um, twice exceptional or, um, hyperlexic that, that like, a lot of hyperlexic people are autistic, but not all autistic people are hyperlexic. And um, I know there's like, there's a guy I follow, it's called the life autistic. And mm. he's like, don't call autistic people geniuses that puts way too much pressure on them, you know, blah, blah, blah. Which is funny. Cause I'm always like, dude, you're like a genius. Yeah, But that's like, he's, he's got a good point, but I would be guilty of that too. Cause I'm like your kid, like, he said, he sounds like a genius. And I feel like, you know, we're not all great at everything. There's all, I feel like, yeah, there's some things that I'm really good at, but there's things I'm really shitty at. And if, if society was to all of a sudden say one day that this thing wasn't cool or, you know, weird people do this, or this is not socially accepted. And then I was just, you know, pushed to the back of the room. Like it's, it's just hard when, when you, when we have to answer to this higher power, the society or whoever it is that's making the rules and they're the ones that's dictating what's normal and what's not and wait, what, how we have to be. And yeah, that's just, and that's why I think it takes the actually autistic adult community and the moms of kids who have autism to, you know, try to change that a little bit, you know, um, accept autistic people and accommodate them. There's another guy that I follow and he had the best analogy of, so autism is a disability, you know, it's like a handicap. And when you're physically handicapped, there's already like the ramp for the wheelchair, right? There's a handicapped parking spot. It's in the front. There's a ramp, you know, there's elevators or whatever, and it's handicap accessible. Like when you have a mental disability, there's no ramp. And you have to like prove that you're disabled and like fall down the stairs and like show, you know, a deviant deviant percentage of X or whatever you're, you know, you're below this much of the average to even get any help in the first place. And I think that's really wrong. That is. Anyway, so long story short, I quit my job. Yeah. (laughs) So you mentioned some individuals that have kind of helped you on your journey, learning how to work with your son who has autism. Are there any other great resources out there that have helped you, whether it's learning about autism or hyperlexia or just just how to navigate that as a mother? Mm -hmm. So I'd like to start off with two that I give a thumbs down to. One is Taka, talk about curing autism. Um, They are really big and like no judgment necessarily. Like everyone has their own coping mechanisms and like every kid, like also what I think sucks about the spectrum is that it's a spectrum. So every kid is like unique. Um, but Taka's shtick is that you can cure autism. And maybe if you cut out gluten and casein and do, uh, you know, Dr. Spock or whatever, um, that it will go away. And like, all of a sudden your kid will like be normal again. Um, I think that's like, not the perspective that I think is good. The other one is autism speaks a lot of, um, a lot of actually autistic people are really anti autism speaks and really anti the puzzle piece. 
um, like there's something that needs to be put, like they're broken and you got to put them together like a puzzle piece, I guess. Um, and I mean, and like, this is just where I am right now, but when you are a new, newly diagnosed family, those are the two biggest organizations. And, um, so autism speaks is about, um, you know, like why, like they did a ton of research, like, is it genetic? Is it environmental? Like why? Um, and so like be judicious about it. I think obviously talking, seeing, hearing, seeing grown up actually autistic people is very helpful because I was like, Oh my God, like, you know, is my kid going to be able to have a job when he grows up, have a relationship, go to college, live independently. And you know, some of them can't like the reality is that some of them are going to need, um, you know, communication devices and live in, you know, live at home for forever. And that's, that, that is their reality. And, but the reality also is that a lot of them do. So seeing grownups like the, the, I follow the autistic life. He has his own YouTube channel and he's on Instagram. Um, he's a dad. I think he's got two or three kids and I think he works at Apple. He might somewhere in tech, his stuff has been really informative. Temple Grandin is like, <laughs> the original uh, like highly high profile autism lady so also autistic people are extremely visual thinkers they see in pictures so like if you say if i say flower to you like you might like think of, of the word flower you might just hear it and like be thinking about something else supposedly at least for temple grandin she, her mind will pull up like a file of like every picture of every flower that she's ever seen wow. <laughs> yeah so she's super visual and she like reinvented like cattle slaughterhouses in a more efficient and humane way because she could like visually go through the path and see things that other people couldn't see. Um, so there's a movie about her with Claire Danes in it. I actually try not to watch autism movies like, Oh, is your son like rain man? Like, uh," you know, um, I just, I don't, I don't want to watch. I don't want to watch how Hollywood portrays it. Like I don't, I want to keep, nobody knows what the future holds for any of their kids you know, yeah. and I don't want any preconceived notions of what may or may not go down with my, my son. This autistic life is really good. If your kid's going to be in special ed, like, hello, your kid has a disability. Become fluent in Japanese now. <laughs> You're like, what? <laughs> Wait, what's happening? So you need to learn everything about IEPs and the special ed services and get ready to do battle with the school district and all the therapies. So yeah, there's an autism inclusivity page that I follow on Facebook. That's really interesting. There's, this is hyperlexia is a Facebook and Instagram page. There's a gal, I think she's out of, out of Leeds, England and her son is hyperlexic. And, you know, I downloaded her page or whatever. Hyperlexia is like pretty rare. There's a Wikipedia article on it. Not that many kids have it, I think. But then you go on Facebook and it seems like everybody has it, (laughs) you know? I'm glad they have those resources out there. I'm glad because I can only imagine, you know, being a mom and start hearing these comments from family or friends or from teachers and saying, you know, there's something wrong or you've got to look into this. What would you tell a mom who is getting those comments from their teachers or their friends and family? Like, what would you say is the recommended first step of, getting help for your child. Okay. So if they're under two, your state has a regional center. It might not be called a regional center, but it's something like the regional center. And you can call them and you can say, my kid isn't speaking, or I'm worried about this. And they'll come out and do a whole like, um, 
global evaluation. And if your kid's under two, they will bring services to your house. Now, that said, if you disagree with those services, you can ask for an independent evaluation at the public's expense. So the public would pay for somebody else to evaluate or whatever. Um, so would that be through the hospital or? No, no, it's through the state. Through Okay, like through the state. Like so this is something where you would Google like autism regional center or like what would you search for? Whatever your county's name is, you okay. know, like um, LA County Regional Center or. Okay, okay. Um, you know, and then you'd get that number. You can ask your pediatrician for the regional center. Oh, I also would like to note the three out of three pediatricians said Charlie was not autistic. Three so, out of three? <laughs> yes. So That's... I feel like pediatricians, like I don't know, like one in 54 kids or something is autistic. And I feel like the pediatricians need to step up their game um, in that. And so, yeah, anyway, so there's some regional center. If they're over three, you can go through your local school district and ask for an evaluation. And again, if you don't agree with it, you can ask for another evaluation at the public's expense from like a private psychologist, et cetera. And I feel like that's important because I actually did go through the regional center and they said my son had cognitive delays. And I was like, no, dude. Like, and what they prescribed was ABA and the caseworker couldn't really tell me what it was. So I went to Google and I saw all these things of, you know, gay conversion therapy and adults think it's abusive and blah, blah, blah. So I just declined. Like, I didn't know that I could ask for something else or whatever. I was like, no, you know, no. And we were getting speech through private. So you can go, that's the free route. You can also go to a private developmental pediatrician, neurologist, maybe even psychologist, Um, and then if you know that your kid is delayed in speech, there's speech therapy. If you know your kid has sensory issues, there's OT and places that, um, have play therapy or sense like sensory processing disorder. They try to help with that. If you know your kid is delayed in feeding, there's feeding therapy. Like there's a bunch of, you know, specific therapies that you can seek out. Wow. Thank you so much for, for providing that information. Cause I feel like there's a lot of moms out there that are kind of in the dark and, I have friends that, you know, are, are in your shoes where they're, but they're actually too afraid to maybe go to the experts because they're afraid of what they might say, or they're hoping that their child will grow out of it, or yeah. they, they create kind of, you know, some excuses for them thinking, well, maybe it's because I didn't talk to them as much when they were a kid or, you know, they kind of, you know, I feel like as women and moms, we always try to put the blame on us. They're always like, oh, I should have did this better. And I feel like they're going through these, these I don't know, these feelings. And I'm like, you know what, just take yourself out of the situation and just, it's worth going, reaching out to someone and doing a couple tests and hopefully it'll make you feel better. And I feel like you feel better once you have a plan and it's hard to go through all these tests and not have an official diagnosis. And you've got three different people saying three different things. And you're like, can you just tell me what's wrong so we can start working on this? And I can only imagine the frustration. (laughs) I do commiserate with those moms because it's like, you know, probably something's up deep down. You have a gut feeling that something's maybe not right, but staring down the barrel of like all of these things and the idea that your precious baby is not neurotypical, is not normal, not going to live the normal life is brutal. 
I mean, it's brutal as a parent to have to, you know, accept that. Like the period of discovery and diagnosis is super scary. And I think maybe I had a particularly shitty experience, although probably everybody does um, one way or the other, but like just the fact that like it was yes and no and off and on and hot and cold and whatever. But I do have to say though, like everyone's like, oh, early intervention. If your kid's not in speech therapy by the time he's 18 months, like you blew it, you know, like, no, like, you know, don't be in denial. Like don't stick your head in the sand, but also trust yourself. I declined ABA when he was little and part of me is like, shit, you know, did I make a mistake? Maybe he'd be farther along now if we had done it. But then part of me was like, no, like that wasn't right for us at the time. And I didn't want him to have, you know, emotionally traumatic experiences of them trying to train the monkey or whatever. And he didn't, you know, now he's five and every mom neurotypical or not can, you know, shoulda, woulda, coulda their whole raising their kids. And I totally did that with the like, oh, well, you know, maybe it was because we were in Dubai and we had a nanny and he wasn't really exposed to other kids. So we just got to get him socialized. And, you know, I have an American accent. My husband has a British accent. Our nanny had a Zimbabwe accent. There's a million accents in Dubai. So maybe that's what, you know, like you can do that all day, but it doesn't do any good. Yeah. 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 But I mean, I have friends also that, you know, they know something's up and they went to the pediatrician. The pediatrician said everything's fine. So they're just kind of like, you know, having their head in the sand. But the reality is like, eventually they're going to have to go to kindergarten. And it's so funny because you think kindergarten is like the beginning of like school, but no, there's so much that happens before kindergarten. Kindergarten is like (laughs) off to the races, but you're prepping for that, you know, from two. Yeah. Well, especially nowadays, I feel like like when I've looked, did research online and even just, you know, my daughter's going to be starting preschool soon. The things that they expect your kids to know on like day one of kindergarten, I'm like, wait, I thought you were teaching her that. Wait, I got to make sure she knows this, this, and this and knows how to do that and that. And obviously as a parent, yes, I, there's things that I've got to do, but I was so surprised at like what, what the expectations are for, you know, kids coming into school for the first time. And I kind of had that same that same um, opinion of like, okay, well, yeah, school starts at kindergarten. But now that I'm in in the process of enrolling her in preschool and seeing what they expect them to do and know and all the things for preschool, I'm like, oh shit, I gotta step step it up. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, the reality is, like, if you're have if you're working with like a neurotypical brain, it's not really going to be an issue. You know, they might be like a little plus, a little minus, or you know, or maybe they need some reading support, or maybe they need some math support, or whatever. They have programs for that. But when you're not neurotypical, like it's, it's a huge lift to get to be ready for kindergarten. And for, for Charlie, for my son, it's the opposite. Like I look at the stuff that they do in kindergarten and I'm like, what can you do to accelerate him? Like, please do not make him try to sound out like cat. Come on. You know? Yeah. It's like, don't waste his time because then he's not going to feel challenged. And you just like, you don't want him to lose interest in school. And yeah. Yeah. So you clearly, you know, you're a super mom, you've got a lot going on. You have a lot on your plate. Kudos to you for for keeping it all together, girlfriend, because you've, you've, you've got a lot going on. And I, I know your husband is there every two weeks, but I know how it is. And my husband goes out of town for a couple of days. So, um, pass off to you, mama. I'm going to say we've been really lucky in the COVID regard. Um, and also I wanted to say thank you for saying that I'm super mom. In my opinion, I'm doing like the bare minimum. No, <laughs> like you're, you're doing so much. It's like you're trying, you're advocating for just advocating for your child and trying to get them the help that 
he needs. And it's that alone is that's like a, that's a full-time job taking care of that and to be able to do that and, you know, take care of the home and do all the other things that we're doing. And you also, you know, you have a podcast, which yay, something for yourself, <laughs> Thank you know, you. like that's, that's a, that's a wonderful thing that you're doing. So it's, Thank you. you've got a lot going on, girlfriend. So you, you mentioned earlier, you've got your podcast, which is called no sex in the suburbs. And you started that once you became uh, more of a stay at home mom. Can you tell me more about that and what you talk about? Yeah, for sure. So, um, when my son was diagnosed, I quit my job. It was actually about a year after that, that I started the podcast. I started listening to a bunch of special needs podcasts and there's this one, it's called the mama bear podcast. I highly recommend it. Even if you have neurotypical kids, it's amazing. This mom, her daughter has a feeding tube and a sparkly hot pink wheelchair. And she, while taking care of her daughter full-time, got her doctorate and started a podcast. And I was like, dude, you are a stud. Like, I need to stop feeling sorry for myself. And I need to like, listen to what you have to say. Because if she could do it, I could do it, right? Um, so she was giving these mama bear intensive classes. And I was like, look, I don't necessarily have to make money. But like, I would like to do something that maybe I could make money. And I'd like to do something for me. And my background is the media. So we talked about, you know, doing courses, whatever. And then right when we were hanging up, I was like, you know, I've had this idea for a while and for a podcast called No Sex in the Suburbs. And she's like, that is so funny. Like, that's such a funny name. Like you should do it. So basically the, the spoof, the name is a spoof on Sex in the City. So after you've met your Mr. Big and you've lived out your Bradshaw best life, you get married and move to the suburbs. And so it's all about kind of being a suburban mom, um, mom identity and mom challenges. And so we do, we talk about parenting, we talk about kids, um, but we also talk about divorce and wine and <laughs> happy hours at home. And when you're the breadwinner and when staying at home, being a stay at home mom isn't actually a hundred percent fulfilling. And so there's just a lot of, and for me, part of a huge part of my mom identity is being a mom to an autistic boy. And so I do hope to use my platform to increase awareness and advocacy about that. I did a podcast recently about how to be a good friend to an autism mom. And the response on that has been extremely positive. So if you want to do a good karma thing for the world today, go listen to that one. Um, one in 54 kids is on the spectrum. So if you know 50 kids, then statistically one of those moms is an autism mom and you should be nice to her. Yes. Check out your podcast and check out that episode. So where can they find you on yes. which platform and where can we find you on the interwebs? Yeah. So I'm on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, but I think I have like six followers on Twitter. Sorry about that. Um, <laughs> so <Twitter>. Instagram <laughs> really, no, but like I, I don't know. I, like that's it's like my you industry, have to have right? a presence there, but I I really I'm not a Twitter person either. That's weird. Huh? I think I've tweeted I, like three times on my mom after hours. <laughs> I yeah. I don't know. I don't know why Twitter like never stuck for me. Um, but yeah, so I'm mostly active on Instagram. My handle is at No Sex in the Suburbs. Um, you can also find me on Facebook at that same um, No Sex in the Suburbs, and then. Um, I have a website, no sex in the suburbs podcast.com. And I also am on like wherever you get your podcast. All right. Well, I, I really enjoyed talking with you, Haley. And I think we're going to have to schedule another conversation because I can probably talk to you for another couple hours. Like I feel like there's, you've got, we have a lot in common, but you've, you've 
we've gone through quite a bit and I think we need to dig a little deeper. So y'all, if you want to learn more about Haley, check out no sex in the suburbs or catch her on IG at the same no sex in the suburbs. Thank you so much, Brandy. I had a really good time. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. You made it this far, mama. You deserve a gold freaking star and all the coffee in the world. <laughs> if you'd like to follow along on Haley's journey, of course, check her out at No Sex in the Suburbs podcast. And if you did enjoy this episode or if you learned something new, feel free to share it on your social media and tag me at Mom After Hours on Instagram. Facebook is not really my friend, but if you want to tag me there too, you can. Whatever works for you, Mama. I thank you for your support and I love you guys. And as always, I'm here for you. If you ever need to holla, DM me on the gram. Until next time. Bye.